Enrollment is open for Thomas's upcoming six-session live online course, Navigating the Levels of Trauma Healing. Explore how to work with the impacts of collective crises and challenges and learn tools to manage anxiety, overwhelm, and nervous system dysregulation during times of accelerated change and disruption. In this all-new curriculum, Thomas and expert guest speakers will engage in ecosystemic practices to collectively explore our resilience, agency, and capacity to stay present and find deeper meaning. Click the link in our show notes to learn more and enroll. Or go to www.navigatingthelevelsoftrauma.com. Welcome to Point of Relation with Thomas Hubel, a podcast that illuminates the path to collective healing at the intersection of science and mysticism. In his conversations with visionaries, innovators, artists, and healers, Thomas invites guests into a relational experience that allows inspiration and innovation to emerge. This is The Point of Relation. So for today, let's begin with this first question, Thomas. This is from Kaja. Could you please share about the difference and the need of activism and presencing as two different approaches? Yeah, I would say it looks like at first, and often in the practice, there is a difference. But in my understanding, ultimately, there is no difference. And I will explain what that means. So I think activism is the recognition that something needs to be changed and the agency and the implementation of that agency is social transformation or any kind of transformation in our world, in our living together. So when we look at presencing, what is actually presencing? Presencing is is a conscious awareness process of my relationship to a certain topic in the world or to a certain part of my life or to a certain inner part of myself or part of the global process. So presencing means bringing mindfulness or awareness into the relationship or sense perception that I have of a certain circumstance. I think mindfulness informed or also trauma-informed activism means that I'm aware of the driving force of my wish, need, motivation to engage as an activist in the world. And we might see two motivations around activism. One is a true purpose-fueled engagement. I see something that I want to take care of. I'm passionate about it. I feel I have something to contribute and I... um, I'm being active and I really do something about it, which is super beautiful. But what I just said is a relational process that might be mixed with that whatever I see in the world also triggers my own trauma and a part of my engagement at least is fueled by my own trauma stress, by some fears that are rising in me or my own traumatic reactivity to that uh, external circumstance, like that gets triggered by that external circumstance. 
And that's a different fuel of motivation. I think the first one, the purpose-driven motivation, is naturally also connected to relationality. I stay deeply related to whatever I'm taking care of in the world or wherever I put my energy in or wherever I'm active. And that relationality is also congruent with presencing. Now, the word presencing might for many of us mean even more than that, being present with something and staying related. Presencing in the more contemplative art, so to speak, or the practice, means allowing a higher resolution and an even higher resolution of something to emerge in us, which is a process of revelation. It's a process of insight. It's a process of deep learning. So if I presence something, if I contemplate like a social issue that I see, that I want to take care of, I can rush into action or I can be active, but I periodically take time to really tune in with and presence the very thing that I'm taking care of. So I'm actually deepening my relationship with, let's say, a social cause, uh, human rights issue, a conflict, climate change. And contemplation is a way of generating more insight, a deeper understanding, or even coming in touch in myself with a deeper intuition of next steps. And sometimes when in activism, we actually don't know fully how to proceed, presencing and inner uh, mindfulness practices can actually be the door opener to have new creative insights uh, how to proceed. So to bring innovation in. Because... I often say, or also the mystical teachings say, that the birthplace of the future is now. The future always gets born within the present moment as an insight, as a kind of a, um, a drop of light that I reveal or gets revealed to me. That shows me, oh, wow, suddenly I have a great idea. But that great idea is an insight, and the more present I am, and not only present, but there's a certain level of attention and relaxation. It's not only one or the other. It's that there is a level of attention that is concentrated and then there is a part of me that is more relaxed. That's why, for example, great scientists like Heisenberg um, said some of the insights, they came and they left the laboratory or the desk and they went for a walk in the park. It's not that there their whole attention or concentration disappeared, but there was a certain level of letting go while being deeply immersed in a subject that allowed for an insight to come in. And that's why I think presencing is an, a very important aspect, skill, practice, 
for every activist, I believe, it can be very beneficial to have a deeper contemplative practice. And I think many activists also have some sort of inner practice for their own recharging, for their own centering, but also for new insights, how to actually be more effective or contribute more to our whatever causes or whatever we want to take care of or whatever we contribute to in, in our world. And, and I think if we can differentiate the urgency to take care of something and the, the urgency that traumatic stress creates in us, so the urgency of the cause or the social issue is one, and that's relational. So I feel something really needs attention, which means I'm related to that, whatever that is. And I feel in my responsibility that now we need action. Now we need to do something about it. Versus traumatic stress is that I see something in the world, it triggers my trauma stress, and that creates a heightened urgency, which is actually reactive and not relational. And so these two things need to be differentiated. And I believe presencing can help us to do that and have a better discernment. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. So, yeah, what I'm hearing, I believe, is that um, it's not so much about two different approaches. It's about the relationship between presencing and activism. Um, yeah, and perhaps that even... Uh, maybe not having a um, response could also be a trauma response. Is that also true? Yes, that's also true. Because one side of the trauma symptoms is the hyperactivation, the stress, and the reactivity. The other side of the trigger is numbness, absence, indifference, non-action. So sometimes not to engage is actually a deep trauma symptom. And I think that's also what we often see, the indifference in the world is not just like a blunt not caring. It's it's often a trauma depression of the sense of engagement or the sense of connectedness as a defense mechanism against overwhelm. And so, yes, it's not an excuse, of course, to not engage. And it's important for us to see the root cause of indifference, because the more we understand the indifference, we can really skillfully engage it and, and bring the skills that are needed in order to transform indifference into relationship and then into action or care or activism sometimes. And, and I think Presencing and activism seem sometimes like two poles that are different or very different, which they often are because some people that feel more outgoing, they choose more activity in the world than contemplative practice. But eventually we can see that when we go deeper, um, they can be beautifully combined and I think really reinforce each other's power. And uh, I think that also for many people, their contemplative practice is a great 
resource in their work in the world. That's great. Thank you. Very um, helpful for the times that we're in. So let's move along to this next question, which is from Anne. Anne asks, how and what practices do you suggest could help us to stay grounded and to be able to grieve with the suffering being experienced in our world while also being able to experience deep peace and joy? Presencing or any kind of deeper presence practice reveals to us that deep inside there is a place, or lack of a better world or word, there is a some kind of inner place or space that is not so affected by the movements of our world. So there is a deeper peacefulness in the contemplative practice that arises for practitioners, for some very quickly, for some along their way, that we feel it's it's, it's true that there is a deeper peacefulness in the meditation. And that deeper peacefulness from being a sometimes arising events becomes more like a steady plateau of our practice. So we rest more and more of our days or days in an inner state of, of spaciousness, stillness, and at the same time we can be active in the world. So we are active, but actually the deeper center doesn't disappear when we are active in the world. It stays like a like a depth to the moment. And at the same time, this doesn't mean that we are not deeply feeling or caring or engaged or related to what's happening in our world today. It just means that there is a deeper depth dimension that in a way transcends our current daily experience. And that means that we, when we look into our world today, of course, when we see a lot of suffering, and we are open and we are not indifferent and shut down and absent, we will feel something. And it's important that we feel something because that's healthy to be able to relate to this suffering that we see in the world. Of course, and then here is the point. In my mature, integrated self, in the maturity of my emotional development or my emotional and cognitive development, I can be deeply affected by something that's happening in me, around me, both. But it doesn't mean that I become regressive, which means it takes me to earlier pain or trauma in my own development that starts to rattle inside of myself and create an overlay on top of my sense of compassion or felt experience of a certain amount of suffering that I see in the world. So that that we are affected by the suffering is a healthy process. That's a healthy response 
to the pain of somebody else, that I'm not just indifferent, I'm not in any way affected by it, is strange. There is some sort of absence or distancing happening here. But for many people, when we feel the suffering of the world, and it triggers much deeper places of our own suffering, then we feel we are kind of drowning in the pain. And it doesn't feel regulated anymore. Not because of what's happening outside, but because my interior developmental landscape starts to resonate very strongly with the pain that I see outside. And often we project our own inner unintegratedness then onto the external suffering. So there's a mix between my own past that hasn't been integrated and what's happening now. And, and so one way to look at that is in our own practice is, first of all, that I notice, am I willing to touch deeper feelings and emotions in myself that are a healthy response to something painful we see people go through, or groups go through, or a person go through. And we are in a resonant relationship. I think that's a very healthy response. But when I feel that I get really triggered and that I start drowning in my own inner experience, and I'm not anymore regulated, and I don't feel anymore that I'm in my full mature capacity, then it's a time where either I need somebody to talk to, or I need at least some space for myself to really look at what's happening in myself, what has been set off. And so when when I when I make some space for myself and I contemplate my inner experience and I can say, oh, what I see scares me. What I what I see brings up a lot of sadness when I see the suffering, or I feel anger, or or I feel numb. I don't feel anything. So that kind of higher resolution of my process is important. Then I can go to the next step and in myself name the emotion that I'm feeling. Oh, I, I feel I'm getting scared or I'm scared. And and then maybe I can feel my body well. I can locate the fear somewhere in my body. I can ground the fear through my body. Can soften into the fear or the stress that I experience if it's not too overwhelming. I can active. I can connect it to my breathing, the slower exhalations, and like that, I can ground my own either stress response or emotional response, and experience it because that's why it's here. It wants to be experienced, but it doesn't want to. Uh, it wants to be experienced because the emotions that come up in me, once they are set off, they're like a wave. They come, they grow more intense, and they kind of ebb off. And so when we see suffering in the world, that process, that wave that goes through us is healthy. But if 
that wave touches deeper pain, then it feels like, oh, it got stuck in me, and now I'm fully in fear the whole time. But that has nothing to do anymore with that external event. That has something to do with my past. And if that happens, that I feel by myself, I cannot anymore regulate my inner space because it gets very strong, then I really need to reach out for support and either talk to a therapist or a professional that can uh, support me to digest whatever gets triggered. And for some people, it also helps just to talk to people that we feel safe with, good friends, family members, people that we trust, or colleagues, whatever, where we feel um, when I share it and somebody really listens to me, the co-presencing brings it into a relationship. And either somebody is the co-regulative power for me, or sometimes I am a co-regulative power for some of my friends, but the mutual space that is being created and the recognition of our emotions, not just how do we as fast as possible get out of it, but how can we really listen to each other that we honor our emotions, not to get out of it, but because they are there. Once emotions are there, they want to be honored. And if they are being honored, they can be digested and integrated, and it becomes part of our wisdom. If we try to suppress it, they will kind of linger around and have side effects in our lives. And so coming back to the question, I think the first step is feeling my body, second step, what's my stress level, feeling my stress level in my body, then noticing, okay, what emotion is actually triggered or what emotion comes up in me. And I make space for it. I can name it. I can create, I can soften a bit around the edges of the emotion. I let, I relax into the emotion until I feel slowly it's subsiding and it's uh, being digested. And then I will also feel, oh, I'm more engaged again and I can look at the situation maybe more clearly. Maybe then another wave of emotion will come. But it's once I'm in that experience that stronger emotions come, something really makes me feel sad. I feel sad, maybe even cry, and then I can let go of it. And because I think that the aim is not that we don't feel any emotions and we are just centered. Centered means that we really care about the world, that we can feel deeply, but we are not drowning in the emotions because there's like a center that is spacious enough to host our, our deep experience. And, um, and that the other side is also that I notice once I touch my own inner overwhelm, I, I might feel numb and I can see many things on the news. I can, I intellectually understand that it's really terrible sometimes what people experience. But I don't have any emotional response. I don't have, a, or sometimes I don't have any physical response. And that's okay if I don't judge that. If, I, but I notice that, 
that that's not presence, but that's often absence, the absence of a felt experience. Then I bring attention to the not feeling, and I don't try harder to feel something. I'm, I'm in a way slowing down to feel my inner overwhelm. So I feel that I don't feel. Once I'm aware of numbness, I feel that I don't feel. And then I can soften into that. And often, once we honor the overwhelm, our emotional system can slowly turn on again. And then I feel some of the deeper feelings that I needed to numb. And that's, uh, I think, a great practice. And in, in our world, we see often that because I believe we we all have been born into more or less collectively traumatized circumstances, that sometimes we can speak intellectually about events or, or circumstances in the world that actually encode for a lot of emotion or a lot of feelings. But the way we speak about it is like you go to the grocery store and you buy a few apples. And so the amount of information that's missing in the sentence is also a sign how much we learn to suppress uh, deep experiences. And that's why we can talk about them as if they were the same like going to the grocery store and buying some apples. And sometimes we can really feel it that we that we hear sentences, some people say, yeah, my my parents also beat me. And you can feel that the sentence doesn't come through the body. It comes a bit lifted out of the body. Because when we really stay open and embodied, then, except that has been, but then it also doesn't sound like that. Once somebody worked through the after effects of violence in our childhood then then it comes through the embodiment but with openness and if we didn't work through it yet then the pain still sits here so when we begin to deepen our experience into our body we will touch the pain that couldn't be experienced and but often we hear like a language that can speak about it but without some aspects of our embodiment. And we can hear that. And I think the more we ground ourselves through our bodies, what's happening in the world has a resonance in us. And that resonance is really important and healthy and like an important motivation to be engaged as a global citizen. Because we are all global citizens. Once we use the technology that we are using, we're running around with mobile phones, we have access to the internet, we have access to tons of data. So we have been initiated into global citizenship. Even if we just live locally, we see many events from around the world. And in the moment we know about it, we are part of it. We're even part of it when we don't know about it, but it's another story but the the information that we are able to consume 
means that we have to develop the emotional literacy, the physical literacy, the ancestral literacy to be global citizens. And I think that's the initiation that the world is going through at the moment. It's not just easy because we can easily get overwhelmed by so much information that we that is being delivered to us and that we often consume and sometimes overconsume. So it really overloads our systems. And uh, yeah, so I think finding a deeper relationship to the emotional content and, and seeing the intelligence in our emotions, I think is really important. And it's a it's an evolutionary step because I think we've never been exposed to so much information as we are being now. Thank you, Thomas. Um, that was really supportive, given all that the world is going through right now. Um, and thank you for taking the time and energy to be here when you're not feeling 100%. Um, and thank you again to our listeners for their questions and to Anne and Kaja specifically for those questions. I think we'll end this um, this episode here, but we'll be back with a part two and in future episodes also be um, asking Thomas questions that came from all of you listeners. So thank you again for submitting your questions and for listening to Point of Relation. And we'll be back next week with another episode. Take care. Thanks for listening to Point of Relation with Thomas Hoover. Stay connected by visiting our website, pointofrelationpodcast.com and by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review and share about us with your community on social media. Thank you. We appreciate your support.